0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the President of Gateway Seminary, welcoming you once again to our ongoing discussion of practical issues related to ministry leadership. Uh, Last week and this week on the podcast, we're talking about the use of power and authority in ministry relationships. As I said last week, uh, just using the words power and authority in the same phrase or sentence or title with the words ministry leadership uh, rankles some of you. Uh, You don't like the concepts of power and authority. You struggle with them. You've had bad experiences with them. And to put them in the context of ministry leadership um, seems either awkward or difficult or perhaps even wrong to you. But last week I tried to lay the foundation by saying that power and authority in ministry relationships and in ministry leadership are very present and very prevalent realities. And rather than deny them, we must learn to manage them well. Last week we learned that power and authority have very similar definitions that have a lot of overlapping and interlocking parts, Uh, and then we also learned that from a quick overview of the New Testament that uh, power and authority uh, were both attributed to Jesus, and Jesus used both words to describe his own actions, and then. or I, sh- I should say, both words are used to describe Jesus' actions. He didn't necessarily say them every time. And then uh, we learned also last week that, uh, that the whole New Testament is full of both positive and negative examples of the use of power and authority. And both power and authority are attributed to both positive and negative uh, actions and circumstances. And so... Um, after that brief overview, we concluded that while God has all a power, has all power and authority, uh, He has shared some of that through people and structures. He expects us to learn to use these things, these things, these concepts, power and authority, wisely, and to make uh, the most positive difference with them. Then last week I talked about ten sources of power and authority in ministry, leadership, and in ministry relationships. Three of those are outside your control. That's the triune God, particularly as the New Testament often expresses it, the Holy Spirit coming upon you with power. Uh, We talked about the call experience, both God calling you and some person or group calling you to a specific position. And then your natural leadership ability, your charisma, your personality, your gifts. Uh, Those things are all outside your control. So uh, those are three things that everyone experiences but can't control. But uh, then there are seven areas that you do have some control. Uh, Service, position, wealth, information, networks, tenure, and competence are seven areas that define uh, power and authority in ministry relationships and power and authority in ministry leadership. And we must learn to manage all seven of those well. Uh, making sure that we use them positively and intentionally uh, to use our influence for good and not trip up on any of these and find them being negative expressions or negative aspects of power and authority in ministry leadership or ministry relationships. Now, this week on the podcast, uh, I want to focus more on the negative. Uh, Last week, almost exclusively on the positive, but this week, some of the negative aspects Of power and authority in ministry leadership and in doing so uh, hopefully raise some caution flags about the misuse of these uh, concepts or these forces uh, in our work. First let's talk about some negative attitudes that leaders have toward power and authority. The first is the fear of using power or authority or the fear of being abused by the powerful or by those who are in authority. Now this fear can be very real. Uh, We can be afraid that we will misuse power and authority and so we try to avoid it or shun it or act like we don't have it. We can also be fearful of these concepts because of how they've been misused in our lives in the past and how we may have been victimized by them in the past. And Quite honestly, when I talk about people who fear using power and authority, I often find as we delve down into the source of that fear that it comes from some abuse or some difficulty they've experienced in their past. So let's be frank. Sometimes we have been and we are abused by people who have power and authority over us. There's no escaping that reality. But then allowing that unfortunate set of circumstances or that difficult set of circumstances to shape how you go forward really undermines the capacity you have to use power and authority wisely. So what I would advise you to do is learn from what happened to you and learn from the negative example that you may have experienced. But rather than uh, being focused on the negative aspects of that example and letting them control you or, or even guide you as you go forward, Learn from that negative experience. Learn what it feels like to be abused by someone who has power and authority. And rather than fear doing that in the future or fear using these resources of influence in the future, make a determined effort to learn how to do it wisely and well so that you can overcome what happened to you and overcome your fear or your reticence about power and authority in ministry leadership. A second negative attitude is what I call the lust for power. Are the desire for supremacy or for authority in your situation. I've had several experience with this, experiences with this over the years. My first one was while I was a young Christian, really still in college. Um, our church called a new staff person who came with glowing recommendations from a very strong church, um, He had been in a larger church than ours and had had a a support role there, but a role in which he was growing and learning and maturing and preparing for a larger leadership challenge. And so our church gave him that larger leadership role, but when he arrived, something happened in the transition, and he came to our place with a sense of uh, pride and arrogance and superiority, Uh, He became an order giver and a person who tried to dictate his way through the early weeks of his tenure. And quite frankly, to my surprise, having never seen anything quite like this, within just the first few months, uh, he was terminated from that position. Now, the good news in that story is his termination uh, was a wake-up call for him. He realized what he had done, the mistakes he had made, Uh, He was able to recover from those and continued on later in life to have a full and meaningful ministry. But I saw very clearly what happens when a person has a lust for power, a desire for domination, when they uh, begin to think that they've arrived and can lord their position over people. Very troubling. I saw it also in another circumstance, actually much more prominent ministry leadership role, uh, I watched a person come into that role and make the very same mistakes. Um, they were dominating, uh, domineering and dictatorial, uh, arbitrary in their decision-making, and had little regard for the uh, organization's health and vitality that it had already demonstrated was when he started making uh, really draconian changes. He also did not last very long before his board had to step in and end his leadership, his leadership role. I later asked someone, Uh, who had interviewed him and had been a part of his hiring, what happened? And that person told me these words, the person we interviewed never showed up for work. Meaning that something happened from the time they were candidating for the job till the time they got the job that that changed their view on how they were to assume their role and what, what kind of way they would operate when they got in the leadership chair. They had a lust for power, a, a desire to dominate, um, uh, a sense of having to make a name for themselves by coming in and being dictatorial in their manner. And it cost them, both. in both these cases, it cost them their position. Well, another negative attitude about power and authority is denial of power and authority in ministry relationships. Now, I'm hopeful that this podcast and the one last week will help you overcome this problem. Uh, rather than deny these things exist, Uh, It's more important to manage them, own them, uh, learn how to interface with them, and relate to them properly. Especially in the consideration of how power and authority are demonstrated in ministry relationships, you have to recognize that um, everyone in your organization has some of these things working in their lives. For example, you may be a brand new leader and you may have a position that's higher in the organization than someone else, but if they've been there 20 years, uh, they have some tenure, which gives them competence and experience and trust, and you have to deal with that. And so denying that these realities exist uh, doesn't make them go away, and I think it's important for you, rather than deny them, to learn to diagnose them and to interface with them appropriately. Another negative attitude is being naive about power and authority in ministry relationships, and this was certainly how I was when I started out in ministry leadership. I was fortunate in that my earliest years of ministry training uh, took place in a church that had a very uh, strong pastor and a a very good model for ministry. Uh, He he did so many things well, and I was privileged to learn from him. But one of the things that was uh, troublesome about that relationship that I didn't realize until much later was that he really never taught me that much about how the dynamics of ministry relationships and authority and power really worked. He was such a skilled leader. He'd been in the church so long that he made it look so easy. So I left that church and went to my first pastoral responsibility and tried to do in that role what I had seen him do in his role. And the first couple of years were, were pretty rocky for me. I was trying to lead like I had been the pastor of a church for 25 years, and, and I did the same things I saw him doing, but had very different results. Well, as I look back on it, I realize now that I didn't know anything at all about what I'm teaching in these two podcasts. Um, I somehow had missed these, uh, these lessons along the way, and I had to go back and start learning them. And, and trying to understand what was happening in these relationships and learned that I did have authority and responsibility to exercise that uh, appropriately, and I did have power and the ability to use that in right ways. But I also recognized uh, that a lot of other people had these things, and I had learned how to interface with all of that. I was simply naive. <clears throat> but through learning and through experience, um, I've been able to grow to understand some of these concepts, and I hope that, that you'll be able to do the same. And then the last one I'll just say is cynicism about power and authority. And this really comes uh, from people who've maybe been in leadership a long time. You know, when I started uh, leading in more uh, uh, in, in broader leadership roles than, than as a local church pastor, uh, someone who'd been at this for a while said, uh, you know, the biggest problem you're going to have is avoiding cynicism over the years as you see a lot of what you'll uh, experience sort of behind the scenes in how ministry is often done and how power and authority are often abused, and, and you're going to see a, a really ugly side, and it's going to be hard for you to maintain sort of your pure-hearted devotion to the Lord and to leadership. When he said that to me, I kind of laughed it off and thought, yeah, well, it's not that bad. Well, he was right. It is that bad. <laughs> uh, the more leadership responsibility you get and the more difficult and complicated situations you get called in to help... Uh, the more you see that uh, the abuse of power and authority and ministry leadership is really destructive and it's uh, more prevalent than I'd like to admit. And so it's easy to become cynical and just say, what's the point? You know, there's there's really no way to do this well and there's no way to escape the damage and, and to just become frustrated and want to give up. But God has helped me somehow to not become a cynic. Um, he's helped me to take a pretty hard and sometimes jaded look at things, but to avoid the cynicism that comes from all that discouragement. So, negative attitudes. You have to overcome these. Uh, You have to overcome fear of power and authority, the lust for power and authority, denial that power and authority in relationships exist. You have to overcome your naivete, especially if you're a younger leader. And then as you get older, you have to avoid the cynicism that often comes with dealing with all these situations. Yes, there are many negative aspects many negative aspects of power and authority in ministry leadership. We have to acknowledge that. We have to be upfront about it. We have to confront these negative aspects, especially these negative attitudes, and we have to have intentional choices uh, to more uh, appropriately and more effectively use power and authority in ministry relationships. Now, let's shift gears and talk about a second negative aspect, and that's the evidence that you may be drifting Towards some negative uses of power and authority in ministry relationships. Some evidence that you're drifting. Now, I'm indebted to a leader named Calvin Miller for these. Uh, He wrote a book a few years ago in which he had a chapter on the evidence of power abuse. The evidence of using authority inappropriately. I've borrowed what he had to say and sort of reshaped it with my own illustrations. And I want to tell you now about some checkpoints are some cautionary notes that you need to pay attention to to make sure that you don't drift in this area. First, the first evidence of abusing power and authority is giving up the disciplines we still demand of others. Giving up the disciplines we still demand of others. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, when you tell other people that they need to maintain a devotional life, but you don't do that, you're giving up a discipline that you demand of others. When you tell others in their, your organization that they have to account for their sick leave and their vacation time by submitting a written report, but you don't feel like you need to do that, you're giving up the discipline you expect of others. When you require people to submit uh, detailed receipts and a detailed accounting in order to be reimbursed for a ministry expense, but you You don't really feel like you need to do that. You're giving up a discipline you demand of others. Now, one of the first indicators that you're starting to drift, that you're starting to lord over people, take a bit of dominion, think that you're a little better than everyone else, when you're starting to drift into using your power and authority inappropriately is when you give up the disciplines you require of others. Other people need to have a daily devotion. You don't need to have that. Other people need to follow the personnel policies. You don't really have to keep up with those. Other people need to submit their detailed expense reports, but everyone just needs to trust you and reimburse you for whatever you think it takes to do your job. When that attitude starts coming up within you, you're drifting into some dangerous territory where you'll ultimately really abuse your power and authority in ways that are destructive. Here's another one. Believing others owe us whatever use we can make of them. In other words, believing that other people who work with us exist to serve us, to do our bidding, to make our lives easier. When we start thinking this way, we're drifting toward abusing power and authority in those relationships. Now, I'm fortunate. I have a, an executive assistant and some others who work here in the president's office, And I've worked hard over the years that I make sure that I ask them to do only their professional responsibilities, not personal service for me. Uh, There's a line there. They work for me in my role as the president of Gateway Seminary, uh, not in my role as a person who needs to have things done for him on a personal basis. And so I try to honor those lines and respect the people who work with me so that uh, they feel that I value what they do and I don't drift into expecting them to do whatever I think is needed to meet whatever whim or desire I might have. I also work hard at some phrasing. Now, I know these people do work for me in the sense that I employ them and and I compensate them, and I get that. But I usually try to use the phrase that they work with me. Uh, And when I introduce them, I say... Uh, This is part of the president's team here in the president's office because I want people to understand that these are people who, while they may be below me on the organizational chart, are not below me in terms of their their value, their worth, or their uh, relationship to me in the context of our shared relationship with God. And so the people who work with you, the people who work around you, These are people who serve you, and yes, they do help make you more successful as a leader and to accomplish the tasks that you've been given that have to be done in a leadership role. But believing that others owe us whatever we can make use of them to do is a sign that you're drifting in your use of power and authority in ministry leadership. A third evidence is trying to fix things up rather than make things right. Oftentimes when a leader makes a mistake, you see this oftentimes in the political realm in America, when a leader makes a mistake, it's not the mistake that is their undoing, it's the cover-up. Rather than simply stepping forward and saying, I made a mistake, Uh, I spent some money I shouldn't have spent, I hired someone we shouldn't have hired, I I chose a program that really didn't work, rather than stepping up and announcing and owning a mistake, Leaders try to cover up what they've done, and when they cover up those aspects, rather than admit to them, they are starting to drift toward abuse of their power and authority, not using it appropriately to advance the mission of the organization, but using it inappropriately to cover up their mistakes and make them look good. So another sign you're drifting is trying to fix thing up, things up rather than make things right. Another evidence of power abuse or authority abuse is closing our minds to suggestions that we might be out of line. When you as a leader insulate yourself from people who will tell you the truth and only surround yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear, you are already abusing your power and authority, but you are drifting toward even greater abuses that will ultimately be catastrophic for you. One of the disciplines I've learned over the years is to, take, uh, take, uh, careful, to pay careful attention to the people who work around me when they question a decision I've made or raise an issue. Uh, and the people that work around me, my vice presidents and other staff, they, they tend to support me and they, and they tend to respect me and I appreciate that. So they don't often come into a meeting and say, Mr. President, you're just plain wrong on this and you need to change your direction. But they'll instead say things like, Jeff, I, I wish you'd rethink this. Or, you know, there's some other issues I don't really know that you're fully considering. Or uh, there's a couple of aspects of this that, that I don't think you're giving enough weight to. I, I hope you'll reconsider this. And I've learned over the years to pay more attention to those kinds of gentle nudges and to recognize that when people around me are saying they have a concern or an issue, uh, that, they're, that they're not quite uh, in agreement with me, that I need to take that seriously. Same thing with my wife. Uh, when she says, have you really thought this through? Or, man, this doesn't seem right to me. Or, I-, I just really think you ought to reconsider that. It causes me to take a step back and say, what am I doing here and why am I doing it? Now, frankly, sometimes I have information they don't have. Both in terms of my wife and the people who work closest around me. Sometimes as a, the senior leader, I have information no one else has. And I know that I'm making my decision based on that information. And I simply have to go forward with it. But much of the time... When people around me raise concerns, I recognize that those concerns are valid. And it causes me to go back and rethink what I'm doing and make a better decision the next time around. And then the final evidence of power abuse is believing people in our way are expendable. Believing that people in our way are expendable. In other words, uh, whatever's in my way of accomplishing what I want, they just have to go. Whether they're a volunteer or a paid person, they just need to get out of my way. When you're thinking like that, you're already abusing, but you're headed towards some more serious abuse of power and authority in ministry leadership. Well, these are some checkpoints you need to pay attention to. If you're giving up the disciplines you demand of others, believing others around you owe you whatever you, use of them you can make, if you're trying to fix things up rather than make things right or closing your minds to suggestions you might be wrong or using other people and making them expendable to accomplish your personal uh, agenda, then you're drifting you're already abusing, and you're headed toward what could be a catastrophic misuse of authority and power. Well, let me close today by talking about one last negative aspect of the use of power and authority, and that's power games. Now, there are three of them that people like to play. The first one is God told me. Uh, God told me. Uh, God told me that this is what you should preach on, or God told me this is what the organization should do, or God told me this is the mission trip we should take, or God told me. Well, when someone says that to me, uh, I don't react negatively and I don't argue with him. I just simply say, well, that's interesting. I'll pray about it and see what God tells me. Uh, that's my response. I, uh, that's interesting. I'll pray about it and see what God tells me. This, I found, is a disarming statement. It doesn't deny that the person may have had an impression from God. It doesn't argue that the person may have a conviction about their decision. Uh, it doesn't call into question their spirituality, although sometimes I'd like to do that. It just simply acknowledges, I hear what you're saying. That's interesting. And I will use the same process you've used to see if I come to the same decision, and that is, I'll ask God about it. So when someone plays this power game, God told me, I say, that's interesting. Uh, I'm going to pray about it and see what God tells me. Then we'll move forward. Another power game is a lot of people think. Well, Pastor, a lot of people think that you need to preach meatier messages. Pastor, a lot of people think we need to uh, remodel the auditorium. Pastor, a lot of people think that we need to go back to our traditional music. Pastor, a lot of people think that we need a different curriculum in our Sunday school. Well, how do you respond to that one? Well, when someone comes to me and says, a lot of people think, I say, well, that's very interesting to me. Um, I'm, I'm always willing to listen to what people think. Uh, let's get them together and talk about it. Usually, in almost every case, the person says, well, they, they want to be anonymous or, well, they, they don't really want to come to you or, or, well, they're not really sure that, uh, that that would be healthy. And I say, well, I, I don't know how to go forward then. I'm very concerned about what people think about my preaching or about our church or about the auditorium or about our music. I'm very concerned about these things. And I want to be a good listener, so let's get them together. Let's have a a meeting to talk over coffee or let's have a luncheon or or let's meet in my office. Let's get together after church. Why don't you round up those people that are talking with you about this and and let's sit down and have a conversation. In all the times I've done that, um, I can remember really only one or two That anyone ever said okay, and they usually brought one person with them, and we sit down and talk about their issue. So a lot of people think, just say, I am concerned about what people think, and I want to be a good listener. So let's get them together, and let's talk about it. And then the third power game people play is, if you don't blank, I will or I am blank. Now, the most common one of these is, if you don't do this, I'm going to stop giving. Or if you don't do this, I'm going to stop attending. When someone says that to me, my response is generally this. I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, We'll miss you. Or I'm really sorry to hear that. Uh, We'll have to find a way to offset the lost money that you've been giving. When someone plays a power game of, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to drop a consequence on you, I always call for the consequence. And as a result, I've had people drop out of ministry that I've led and I've had people stop giving. But because of the attitude that always represents, God seems to have a way of bringing along new people to take their place and raising up resources to replace what they've got, what they've what they've left, what they've uh, taken away. So, when someone says, "I'm going to do something if you don't do something," just Thank them for their concern and acknowledge the consequences will be real. Yes, I hear what you're saying and I'll be sorry when you leave. Or I hear what you're saying and we'll just have to find a way to go on without your giving. But I appreciate you letting me know what you're going to do. Um, These kind of power games, God told me a lot of people think, and if you don't, I'm going. These kind of power games um, are evidence that people are trying to misuse power and authority in your life and in relationship to you and you have every responsibility as a Christian leader to resist these power plays you have every responsibility to resist them because as a leader you have to do what's right for your organization and not what people can manipulate you into doing by these kind of power plays well unfortunately today a lot of the podcast has been on the negative aspect of our subject power and authority and ministry leadership yes there are negative attitudes we have to overcome. There are negative indicators that we need to be aware of that illustrate we're drifting. We need to stop before we get into a full-blown expression of abusing power and authority. And then, in, then we need to be on guard so that when people play power game or people make power plays against us, we can resist them. And as leaders, avoid being manipulated in a bad way. Well, power and authority, and ministry leadership. Use it positively. Avoid the negative as you lead on.